Good morning. Hold on, just got to get my stuff together. Fans are great until you have to put something out. Well, good morning, everybody. You know, it was great this morning. The first song we sung was about church awake. You know, and I say amen to that. You know, our heart has been for the church. You know, 22 years ago, uh, and I can tell you where it was, in a place called Dannyverk, which is in New Zealand, at 58 Gordon Street, I had an encounter with God. And on that day, he really changed my heart and my attitude about the church. Because uh, we'd been involved in ministry and churches for a while, but never really had a revelation of God's church. What we had was our traditional view, but never God's view. And so on that day, we realized that God only had one plan of redemption, and that was to use his church. And, uh, and so in that time, yeah, he gave us just a real love for that church, but love for the church, but also he really talked about, at the time, about the coming revival. And at the time, we were involved in what I thought was revival. We were seeing people saved all the time, people healed, not just by the hundreds, but by the thousands. And but that encounter on that day, I realized that we were only having a refreshing from God because when the Lord spoke about the, the, the revival to come, he also spoke about reformation, which is what Tim's talked about as well. And um, so that really started a journey of understanding that there needs to be a reformation in the church. And so, you know, we're in a season of change. We're in a season where the church is coming back to what God planned for it originally, if you're listening. At the same time that that happened, within a, a few days of having that encounter with God, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was on a surfboard out in the sea. And next thing I looked behind me and this huge wave came and I saw that as the, a wave of revival, but there were literally hundreds of people around me on surfboards as well. But most of them were only just starting to paddle out. Um, some weren't even facing in the right direction. They had their back towards this wave, and this wave came, and I ended up on the top of this wave, and I surfed it in. But it didn't just surf in on the sea. It actually kept going on the land. But as we hit the land, all the people that had their back to the the wave and all the people that were still paddling out were all dashed on the rocks and I remember crying out to the Lord and saying but Lord Lord rescue them rescue them you know and the Lord said to me but uh, he said it's all right he said there's another wave coming and so over the coming weeks I had that dream over and over again which was interesting and then one night we were at a prayer meeting and at that prayer meeting someone came with a, a dream they'd been having and it was a dream about a train and they said this dream had been reoccurring and had been reoccurring, I think that was their third or fourth time that they'd had that same dream. And the dream was that, that there was a train going along and uh, it was meant to be full of the people of, on the church, or from the church, and yet uh, no one actually got on. But then when the train started, um, leaving the station, People were trying to get on, but the steam was burning them, and so they just never got on. They never had a chance to get on. 
But that was still speaking again of the church not being ready. Just this week, while I've been praying into today, and the picture that the Lord gave me today, or through the week, was that <clears throat> he's drawing a net, and uh, actually, interesting, Liz sort of alluded to it, the Lord's drawing us up. And yet, that net, there's so many people, Christians, that are out on the edge of that net. And as it's being drawn up, instead of being drawn in, they're actually falling out of that net. And they're not prepared, you know, they're not preparing, they're not actually giving up things, and whether it be offences or, or just making a decision that they're in, whatever that is, is it's time to decide. You know, the Lord is drawing us in, and uh, whatever's happened in the past, it's time to deal with that stuff and move on in God, and uh, you know, it's an exciting time. And so that was, yeah, just part of what I wanted to share initially. The second thing I wanted to share today was last Sunday, uh, Georgie was sharing for communion, and it was interesting, she was sharing out of uh, Revelation 2, and uh, when she shared that, I actually felt we weren't finished with that, and so I felt that the Lord wanted to unpack some things which she was actually bringing that day. And so before we get into Revelation, I just want to read something to you. Revelation 1, 1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants. So that word revelation is uh, apocalypsis, which means unveiling. You and I were meant to understand and are meant to understand what the Lord's talking about in Revelation. And the trouble is that unfortunately we've allegorized it so much that most people don't even understand what they're looking at or what they're reading. And, but it's plain, it's simple. And the Lord wants us to understand it. And it's important for us to get hold of some things because there's much in Revelation, especially the first three chapters, which talk to us directly, us on a personal level, but also us on a corporate level, us as the church of Christ. So, so there's seven churches in Revelation from Revelation 2 and 3. And my question is, are they unique, those seven churches? Are they the only seven? And, and the unpacking of this is the fact that there are seven churches in Revelation, but also Paul wrote to seven churches. So Paul wrote from the churches from uh, Romans, and he's clustered them, so if you've got your Bible, and check this out. So from Romans through to Thessalonians is churches, and they all mirror the churches of Revelation. And so we can unpack much of what's going on in Revelation through the eyes of even Paul through those other churches as well. So and just a sort of just a quick thing. So so Paul wrote to the seven churches, and so we have the churches, seven churches of Revelation, and so uh, our seven churches of Revelation are, are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. The seven churches that Paul wrote to are Ephesians, Philippians, which is uh, have a pairing with Smyrna. Pergamon has a pairing with Corinthians, Thyatira with Galatians, Sardis with Romans, Philadelphia with Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonians and Laodicea with uh, Colossians. And Colossians actually tells us that uh, they're actually 
there's a letter being written to Laodicea. They also, those seven churches also match up to the seven parables. So Ephesians, the parable of the sowers, Smyrna, the parable of tares, Pergamon, the mustard seed, Thyatira, the leaven, Sardis, treasure, uh, Philadelphia, the pearl of great price, and Laodicea, the dragnet. And so they all have places, but also they all reflect the church today. All of those things, if we read those uh, about those seven churches, we could go to any church, and that is a litmus test for every church that we would visit. There would be something in those churches which has a commonality in Revelation. It's just staggering. Um, over the years, how we've actually found that as we, uh, Rosalind and I have travelled, how often we actually find that. And so the Ephesians were, was the apostolic church, Smyrna was the persecuted church, Pergamos was the worldly church, Thyatira was the sacramental church, which is the one that in introduced the, uh, the bells, the smells and the uh, funny hats, which we still have today. Sardis was the Protestant church, Philadelphia the missionary church, and Laodicea, which is the modern church. So we're going to look at today, we're going to go back to uh, the church of Ephesus. So if you've got your Bibles, it's Revelation 2, just chapter 1. And so, before we start, so the, the church of Ephesus ha actually had a good foundation. So we actually find in Acts, where, uh, Acts 19, where Paul actually goes to Ephesus, he finds 12 people, he baptizes them, they get filled with the Spirit, and here they kick off the church of Ephesus. And so it had a good foundation, and then even, uh, so Paul ended up ministering there for around three years, but when he left, he sent Timothy back, and then after the time of Timothy, uh, the Apostle John actually lived there for many years as well. And so they had some pretty good pastors, if you want to put it that way. And so the name uh, Ephesus means desirable. So let's just uh, read it. So, uh, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have laboured for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So in Acts 20, Paul has met, he's on his way back from Miletus, and he actually meets with the leaders of Ephesus. And he actually tells them to uh, faithfully shepherd the church which Jesus Christ himself purchased with his blood. 
But he also tells them that when he leaves, Paul, that grievous wolves will enter in. And also men from among them will rise up and draw away disciples after themselves. So these guys really did an awesome job because this was really the model church. This was a great church. It had a good foundation. They did great things. But what also happened is they became so bound up with service that they let some things go as well. And that's like you and I. We can get so bound up doing that sometimes we forget just to come and sit at the feet of the Lord. It's also interesting where even John, the Apostle John, in his epistle, uh, warns people about the, the wolves you know, and also about, well, in the sense of test all the spirits because not all spirits are from God, which is good advice. So these guys were great at weeding out false, false apostles, false prophets, whatever the ministry was, false. They were good at doing that. But, but in that part as well, you can have the negative, but also that means there was the positive, positive as well. You know, they were great. They were, they were builders of God's people. They built people up, and just as we're called to build people up as well, we're called also to recognize those that are false and to deal with it, but also recognize those people that have gifting and encourage them and see them enter into all that God has for them. It talks about leaving your first love. That's interesting because uh, God doesn't say in there, your love for me. And the first the word first is actually the primary thing. And it's interesting because we have Jesus in the other books who uh, really calls a spade a spade pretty consistently. He says, you're, rich, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're naked, you're blind, you're poor, you're dead, all sorts of things. He called them out. You know, he, he called out things that were. And, uh, and yet here he leaves it. It's almost ambiguous, really. But, uh, and so it leaves us assuming that it's our love for God. And I believe that's 100% correct. But if Mark Crawford was here and he would say, and there's an and, and the and is the fact that the person that wrote this was John, the Apostle John actually penned this. So after writing this, um, after being on the island of Patmos, he actually went back to Ephesus to live. And that's where he penned the epistles, the first, second, and third epistles of John were actually penned in Ephesus. The interesting thing about those, and so if you use scripture to, um, as a reference, it was interesting because John talked about love pretty consistently in that epistle. It was the love for one another. It was the love of his word. Um, it was also uh, about, see, so spoke about um, if you keep his commands, you love God. So, uh, stay, remind, uh, stay, remain, abide in Christ. Uh, walking in the truth is showing love. But also, if we just uh, think of even Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, where it talks about loving our spouse, our husband and our wife. So, I actually think that it's actually, it's an, an inclusive thing. It's, a, it's a, a big picture. It's not just loving God, but it's actually loving each other as well. And I just remember that, um, you know, when I got saved, you know, because I was really thinking about this through the week, and I thought, well, when I got saved, you know, I actually, everything changes in you. It's all of a sudden the, and I'm sorry I'm going to say this, but uh, the first time I went to a Pentecostal church, I hated it and everyone in there. Sorry. 
okay? And, um, but when I got saved, I wanted to go and join those wacky people, those weirdos, and hang out with them. Everything changed. But it was, you went from a, a hate to a love. I love those people. I love to spend time with them. But you love a lot of things. Your relationship, you love your spouse. I love my wife more. I love those that I met. It all changes. But I think part of it is when that grows cold, when that grows cold in us and we just come to church and we go through the motions and yet we're no longer loving those around us. We're no longer even loving our spouses. You know, the first things first, it's all those things we had at first is to continue in those things. It's to, com- it's to finish the race is what we need to do. And one of the obvious things in here as, as well is where he says, repent. Repent of those things. Repent when you fall short. Turn back. And that's what he says to all, and that is always open to all of us, is to return, to repent, to come back. To come back and do those first things first. The last thing was the Nicolaitans. They were interesting people, you know, they really crept into the early church. And the Nicolaitans, the actual, um, the rendering of that uh, name is actually one who conquers the people. And so what happened was the leaders ruled ruthlessly over the people. And they, they basically controlled the people, they told them what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And that's not God's plan. And I think, you know, there's, there's probably many of you here that have been to churches where there's been that type of control over the people, where there's been a, just a lack of love for the people. But that was never God's plan. You know, God wants to restore his church. Restoration centre, we're a place, the name is a God-given name. We're meant to be a people of restoration, we're meant to be restoring people but I believe it's a greater ministry that God has for us as a church and as a people is to go out and restore his bride to go out and be people as his ambassadors going and restoring his church and encouraging and and building his church and I just think of the analogy of when we used to go out with our kids and uh, you'd be going on a two hour drive and you're five minutes in and they go are we there yet? But that's like, we haven't made it, but we're on a journey. And those things get developed on the journey. But we need people to be in as well. We need people to say, you know what, I'm going to give everything for this. I'm believing God. It doesn't matter what's happened before, but I'm believing God. But this is the day. This is, um, you know, my best days, as Liz says, are ahead of me. And those things of the past, it's just time to get rid of that baggage and to move on. So that would be my encouragement to you today. Bless you. Good morning, church. First of all, what an honour and a privilege it is for me to be able to share with you this morning. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this. You know, just before I start, I just want to say that nothing in your life is ever wasted, okay? Those times, those hardships, 
those moments, God uses them in the future. He will use them to build and edify and to help others around you. So just take heart in that. Um, Lately, the scripture that has been bubbling up in me over and over again is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And today I'm here, I believe, to stir your faith. Okay, this is a faith time. (laughs) So from James 5.13, this is from the NIV version. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I am here this morning to speak to you directly from the Word of God with a beautiful message from your King. He's saying to you today, have faith in me, because your faith in me makes you righteous. Therefore... You are in right standing with me. Because of your faith in me, your prayers are powerful and effective. Your prayers are powerful and they are effective all because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. He died for your sins and rose again, defeating death on your behalf. And having your faith in this gives you a promise that when you pray, your prayers are powerful and they are effective. So what's the key here that releases the power of God over your prayers? What makes you righteous? Is it what you do? Do your talents make you righteous? Is it your origin of birth? Is it your Christian parents? Do you, re- do you lean on them to make you righteous? Is it your gifts? Is it your hard work that makes you righteous? No, none of these make you righteous. What makes you any different from an unbeliever? How is it that you are righteous? What sets you apart from those in the world? What is righteousness? It is right standing with God. The answer to all these questions, my friends, is your faith. Your faith in the one who made a way for you to be righteous and his name is Jesus. If you're a believer today, and I'm pretty sure that we're all believers here today, I want you to repeat this after me. Are you ready? Because faith, how does faith come to us? By hearing and hearing the word of God. Okay, are you ready? I want you to say, my prayers are powerful and effective. Again, my prayers are powerful and effective. One more time. My prayers are powerful and effective. Amen. (laughs) Whenever you're having a time of doubt, whenever you're having a time of, Lord, can you really hear me? I want you to repeat those words that my prayers are powerful and effective. So I'm just going to quickly go through a few of those words there. 
So we've got prayer. We know that prayer is communication with God. Now, when you're not in the mood to be eloquent and to speak like, I don't know, a few chapters to God of holy reverence, picking those wonderful words that we do, this is prayer. Lord, I can't, but you can. Help. Lord, I can't, but you can. Help. Lord, I can't, but you can. Help. That's prayer. You know, in that journey that I've shared with you about my children coming, there were days where I couldn't even say that. And I would just groan, Lord, Lord. He heard me. You know, he heard me. And he came through. (laughs) I've told you that story, so I'm not going to go there again. Praying in tongues, declaring, declaring, praying in tongues. Lord, I don't know what to say, but you know. Lord, you know, you know. Declaring truth from Scripture. And let me tell you, since I moved to Bundaberg, (laughs) I have not done this as much as I have ever in my life. We have declared and declared and declared the word of God over our property, over our house. We've had to take that. We've had to take that which is ours and say, Lord Jesus, you brought me here. Lord Jesus, where I walk, this belongs to me, Lord. This belongs to me. This property is mine in the name of Jesus. Declare, declare. I've got a little testimony about power. About 20 years ago, so I'd only been saved about five years my mum was complaining of sore knees. Now, when she said, Danielle, guess what? I've got sore knees. All of a sudden, this fear kind of jumped up in me because my grandmother, my mum's mother, suffered from arthritis of the knees all her life. And I saw her like crippled, walking like this her whole life. So when my mum said to me, Danielle, I've got sore knees, I just went, oh, no. And then something said to me, hang on, I can pray. I said, all right, mum, sit on that seat. She said, all right then. So my mum's Catholic, okay? My mum comes from Catholic background and here I am, this new Pentecostal. I'm going to lay hands on you, mum. (laughs) So I laid, laid my hands on both of her knees and I just said, in the name of Jesus, I declare healing over your knees, mum. I declare right now that the curse of arthritis is broken and it will not go any further. Lord God, I know you're going to come through for me. And mum, I declare healing over you. She said, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. I went to bed that night and we lived in a two-story home, okay? So I'm in bed and, you know, when you're just reading. And all of a sudden, because my door was closed, I could hear footsteps going up and down the stairs. So, And I'm like, what is my mum doing? I opened the door. She said, Danielle, there's no pain. There's no pain. (laughs) Now, was I perfect? Was I, am, am I still perfect, a perfect human being? No, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. Was I doing, was I working for God at that time? Was I, did I have Christian parents? No, I had none of the above. But you know what I had? Faith. I had faith. In the word of God, it says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that's tiny. You can move a mountain. So I had the faith. That's all I had. 
Electricity is powerful. The internet is powerful. A rocket ship is powerful. But you know those elements? They're all worldly. Electricity is from the world. The internet's from the world. And a rocket, that's from the world. But how powerful is prayer? We don't give it the, I don't know, importance that it actually has. Prayer is communication at its finest. You don't need a Wi-Fi password to reach the throne room of God. (laughs) You just go straight to him. There's no phone number. There's no text. Just, Lord! (laughs) He's like, yes, daughter. Yes, daughter. I've got another little testimony for you, okay, about the power of prayer. My dad was in the Freemasons, okay, for a very long time. He's still unsaved, so he has not renounced that ever in his life before. And I had a beautiful Christian woman who was like a a spiritual mother to me. And she said to me, Danielle, you need to renounce those things from your dad from the past. So she gave me this awesome book. And it took me six and a half hours to renounce every single degree. So the first degree, I renounced it. I replaced it with the word of God. Second degree, I renounced it. I replaced it with the word of God. Now, there's, I think, 33 degrees. So it took me about six and a half hours. A long time. Now, at that time in my life, I hadn't heard from my dad for about nine months because he's the type of dad that comes in my life and then he jumps out and then he comes in. It's very complicated. But that night, I received a text message. So I hear the beep, 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 and I have a look and it's my dad. And I'm like, oh, what's he going to say? I opened up the text and you know what he wrote to me? One word, why? W-H-Y. Now, to me, that is so significant and powerful because in the spirit realm, I had broken off my life, all of the curses, all of the different decrees that he had made to the enemy, which in fact are passed down through the generations within that. And he wrote the one word, why. So that tells me that I actually, something actually happened. You know, after that day, I also gave up smoking. Can you believe I used to smoke cigarettes? And that day, clean turkey, boom, and I've never touched one since. The prayer of a righteous person in right standing with God is powerful and effective. Now, this is something else. You guys are going to get to know me really well today. I don't normally tell people all of this about me. But for a job, I do medical transcription. So all day I'm listening to doctors and I'm typing medical notes. And one word that a doctor uses a lot of the time is the word effect or affect. But if I don't type in it in its correct context, I get marked down for that. And if I get marked down for that too much, I can lose my job because I'm typing very important documents. So the word affect is a doing word. So, for example, the cold weather could affect the patient's asthma. The word effect is a noun, and the word effect actually has a substance and there is an end result after the word effect. So, the prescribed medication had an effect on the patient's symptoms. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because in that scripture that your prayers are powerful and effective... They have an end result. Your prayers have a consequence. Your prayers have an end result. It's tangible. Medications cause side effects. There is an effect. So when you pray, there is 
an effect. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This means that when a person is in right standing with God, having faith in Jesus, that their prayers are powerful and they have a result as a consequence. I've got one more little testimony, okay, about how our prayers are powerful and effective. I've got a little boy, Michael, and he's um, very colourful. Let me, I'm putting it nicely, very colourful. <laughs> he's beautiful. But yeah, he, we have moments, moments. I also have a next-door neighbour, and they're not really saved, and they have moments too, because as you know with neighbours, we can hear one another, can't we? We can hear the screaming, we can hear the arguing, we can hear the yelling. And this one day, I could hear the little girl next door just crying and crying and chucking a tantrum. And then about an hour later, guess what? Michael did the same thing, crying, crying, chucking a tantrum. And I said, look, what's the difference? What's the difference, God? I'm the Christian. I have faith in you. Next door, they're not putting their faith in you. So I said, right, Michael, come over here. I prayed over him in the name of Jesus. I asked, Holy Spirit, bring peace, bring peace to my home. And Michael, and we spent the afternoon worshipping Jesus. I just put Christian music on. His mood completely changed. The atmosphere in my home completely changed. It became a happy, peaceful place yet again. And I could still hear the little girl next door crying and screaming. And in that moment, God showed me, see, Danielle, when you have faith and you step out in faith and you declare my word and you pray and you put those things into practice that I've taught you, it changes things. There's an effect. So when you pray, I just want to let you know one more time that your prayers are powerful and effective. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Amen. Woo! We're going we're gonna to respond to that with a song, aren't we? That's what we're going to do. I just wanted to have a word of encouragement for some people. Like, you know, I don't have the answer for when we pray once for something and it happens compared to we keep praying and praying about something and it hasn't yet happened. When I know it's the heart of God to happen. I don't have that answer. But I just want to encourage you today. There are some people because... One of the words that God gave me at the start of this year was that the battles would give way to breakthrough. Some people have experienced that. Some people have experienced some of the battles that they were facing have gone and they've received a breakthrough. Amen? Hands up who's had a breakthrough in their life in, in some form this year. Have a look around. Have a look around. Now, hands up. I don't want this to be like, you know, like, oh, poor person or, you know, whatever, but... Hands up if you're praying for something that it hasn't yet happened. Oh, okay. Well, some people are putting up two hands. So it's like some things have happened and some haven't. And the thing that the Lord's been saying to me recently is that the man at the gate, at the beautiful gate, at the glory gate, positioned himself every day. Jesus would have gone there. I don't understand that, but Jesus would have gone there. The disciples were going there. It's what they did. And yet on this day, on that day, there's something happened. There was contact between the ice. And this man was crying out. And Peter and John said, look at me. 
look at me. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. He positioned himself every day. The man at the pool of Bethesda positioned himself every day. I want to encourage you today to let hope. Do not let the enemy steal your hope. Do not put off hope. But continue to stand in hope and believe because our God is faithful. It's not the, the fairy dust. It's not that stuff. It's, it's like our God is faithful. What he says he will do, he will accomplish. Is there an amen? Do not put off hope. Do not give up. But keep positioning, positioning yourself before the Lord and see what he will do. Now we can worship.